The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover a positive path for spiritual living. Welcome to Voices of Unity with Rev. Jackie Fernandez. Hello from the Tower at the Sacred Grounds of Unity Village. This is Voices of Unity, and I'm your host, Rev. Jackie Fernandez. This is Episode 3 of 4 of our theme, A Matter of Words, exploring one of our foundational unity teachings that words have creative power in our lives. With my guest today, Rev. Joy Weiler, we'll be looking at radical wholeness. Welcome, Joy. Thank you, Jackie. It's great to be here. Uh, so glad to have you on the line. I wish you were here in the studio with me, but grateful for technology that allows us to connect anyway. So, Joy, I've asked you to be a part of this series because you recently wrote an article for Unity Magazine called Radical Wholeness. And I thought that, you know, it fit so well in this series because in the article you invite us into a language of radical wholeness. So I'm excited to talk about that idea with you today. And um, it's it's a topic that's uh, it was just an idea, and now it's a topic that's uh, become a big focus. Oh yeah, just an idea, right? A little a little spark of an idea, a grand idea. So you know, you're celebrating. You've just celebrated your 10th anniversary as senior minister at Unity of Lehigh Valley. Is that right? We. We say it Lehigh. Oh, you say Lehigh. And, um, yeah, they pronounce things differently here, but, um, they're in Pennsylvania, right? Originally from Kansas City. Okay. Um, 10 years is, is really kind of a long time, and our, um, ministry is also celebrating 40 years of ministry this year. So, oh, wow. Interesting to have been here for. A quarter of that time. A quarter, yeah. So it's a pretty nicely established ministry. And you've been there for 10 years. That's wonderful. You've done so much in the Unity Movement. You've been faculty for Unity Worldwide Spiritual Institute. Uh, you've been on the LNO team for UWM, and I had you my very last LNO experience. You were on my team, and I, I believe that's the first time we met. Um, you've served and you on. Survived. I survived. Yes, I did. I survived. Um, we had a good time. If I, the way I remember it, the way I choose to remember it, we had a good time. Um, you've been on the board for the Eastern Region of Unity, and you're now, of course, on the board for Unity World Headquarters. You've written for Daily Word, and of course, now for Unity Magazine. And then in your community, you've served on community boards for the YWCA of Bethlehem, Disability Friendly Community, and the. Lehigh, is that right? Valley Center for Independent Living. And you and were before I left uh, Kansas City, I was on the board at uh, Whole Person, oh. which is the Independent Living Center in Kansas City. Wonderful, so, yes, that yeah. is that is a really powerful um, entity in the city. Um, so you were ordained in 2004, and you have some really interesting like experience before that. Laboratory science, personal and corporate practice of law, and of course, academic faculty. You're the mother of two adult children, Victor and Carrie, 
And then you have some, you know, unique outside experiences. Of course, advocacy, not surprised to see that for diversity awareness and level playing field for all, but pet rescue and gardening. Uh, I, you know, I was born um, in um, southwest Missouri and have just always loved animals. So uh, I got um, affiliated with the Heart of America Humane Society Rescue Group in Kansas City. And we had uh, rescue animals. And it's just a, it's a, it's an amazing way to contribute yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I mean, you can take a moment if you want to brag about your children. Uh, Victor lives in Kansas City and is uh, currently living in a residence with the Community Living Organization in Johnson County. And Kari, my daughter, lives with me in Pennsylvania, and she does pet sitting. Ah. And um, she's been, she was our YFM director for a number of years. So Wonderful. So she's working in the ministry, too. Everybody's everybody's spreading their wings. Ah, that's a wonderful time. I have two teenagers at home, so we're just, you know, I I can see it coming. It's on the horizon, that, that sort of flying into, um, you know, their, their, their hopes and dreams for their lives. So it's a really exciting time. Um, so I want to hear, share with you, um, our listeners your birth story, because I think it really sets the foundation for what we're going to talk about in terms of radical wholeness. Well, it, it, it's interesting because it's not only my birth, but the birth of my first child. So uh, it's kind of the complete package. So I was born in Neosho, Missouri, which is a little town outside of Joplin, Missouri, and not a lot happened in Neosho. So when I was born, the uh, medical staff was kind of taken back and told my parents that I, they believed that I was too deformed to survive. So they put me in the back of the nursery and advised my parents not to get too attached to me Mm. because I was going to die. And lo and behold, I did not die. And on my uh, third day, my dad, who's this big six-foot guy, um, goes to the nurse's station and says, thank you very much, but we believe she's perfect and we're going to take her home and love her as long as we have. And you have to understand that dwarfism a lot of times is a spontaneous mutation. So a dwarf child is born into a family with no family history. Okay. And I have a very unusual form of dwarfism, so the doctors just really didn't know what to do. Sure. So my dad took me home and just believed in me, which... It's kind of radical in yeah. itself. That's, you know, uh, 1955. So, there we go. 1955. Was, so we're talking about a time, you know, just a very different time in small town Missouri, you know. And so it's, you know, to really understand the context for what makes his response. Um, you know, this is a time when fathers weren't in the delivery room, you know, 
there's just a very different time than what we experience now um, in our you know birthing centers where everything is comfortable and you're you know felt, made to feel like you're at home and then so then at that time too it's you know it's not like meanwhile during this three day period your dad could hop on you know to his smartphone and Google you know right. what the doctors are saying and sort of you know um, get some backup information or even you know, other questions to ask, you know, we, so much of our medical care is about a self-advocacy. So, you know, to really just absorb that, um, in that time and, uh, three days. And it was a very different time in our culture. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. July happens to be the anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act, which was, uh, in 1990. So, not that Prior long ago. That, yeah. Uh, there, there wasn't a lot of advocacy for people with disabilities, recognition. There weren't role models in the media. If you saw people with dwarfism, they were mostly in the circus. And um, so it was a very different era. But my dad believed in me, treated me as if, he expected me to be able to do anything I wanted and instilled that in me. So he had a spiritual background in um, indigenous uh, Cherokee culture and also some Baptists. We went to Forest Park Baptist Church in Joplin and um and stomp dances down in Oklahoma. Okay. So it was an interesting and eclectic spiritual background for for me as a young child. But I never doubted that I could do whatever I wanted to, and I never doubted my connection with the spirit, with God. That's beautiful. That is really incredible to you know to be born into your earthly family. You know, to that to give you that kind of support to see you the truth of who you are and to um, to have a hope that hopefully we all give our children, you know, of being able to live our fullest potential. And and for a lot of people that doesn't happen, yeah. and I get that. I I understand that. So I do understand how blessed I really am, and um, that was just. One of the greatest gifts my dad could give me. He came home from World War II as a totally disabled veteran. Mm -hmm. So he had some uh, knowledge that he would not see me live into adulthood. He died when I was 12, but he had already given me the greatest gift, and that was a connection to God and a belief in my uh, radical wholeness. That's beautiful. And so also I want to pause and just give thanks for his service, service to our country. That's really yeah, beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And he so, was one of those who went because it was the right thing to do, mm, not because he had any appreciation or love of war. Right, right. So to talk a little bit about, so we kind of have the framework of what your family um support system was like. How about in your community, in your school, in your church? Um, The one thing that I know about uh, my earliest support 
in school is that I was very close to our pastor at Forest Park Baptist. And when I look back, I have a kindergarten picture, one of those group pictures. Uh And there's probably 15 kids. Now, this is pre-required kindergarten. So most kindergarten was not compulsory, and it was private. So I went to kindergarten in the basement of Forest Park Baptist Church. And in my kindergarten class was myself and a little boy with Down syndrome. So... It was 1960. When I look back at that picture, again, I'm reminded of what a gift it was to be in an environment where we were included. We were included in what would be now a mainstream kindergarten. Right. So there was that whole, you know, let's let's bring everyone into mainstream and, you know, integrate everyone into classrooms. But there was a period of time where you would have been set apart from the other students. And I I've studied a little bit about uh, education advocacy, and we're celebrating the moon landing. Yes. Did you know that at the time of the moon landing, we had no legislation that required that children with disabilities got an education? Wow. That legislation came after the moon landing, and up until that legislation idea, and then later, um, 501, or, oh, I forget the name of the, the legislation, but prior to that, school districts could say, we don't have the resources. Wow. And children with all kinds of disabilities were denied an education. Well, and thinking, too, just, you know, what the doctors sort of didn't even give any realm of hope to your parents. So if you had the kind of parents who would just take that at face value, you know, I could imagine there's, you know, generations of parents who just didn't, like they said, don't get attached, you know, so who weren't investing in the future of um, their children and not... Not for through any fault of their own, but thinking that this is what this educated professional is advising to me and my heart right. and, you know, and what am I going to do? And so then to carry that forward into the education system. So it's, you know, from the home to the community, um, the sort of like you mentioned, the culture, the culture um, has shifted. Um, but at that time, there was this sort of like just we're not going to invest So still, fast forward 1984, so I give birth to my daughter, Sarah, at a major medical center in Kansas City, so it's very modern, it's in an hospital with an intensive nursery, so state-of-the-art, and the resident goes out to my family and says... They need to prepare themselves before they go see the baby because she's very deformed. To your family? They went out to tell my family, you need to prepare yourself because the baby's very deformed. And this was a resident, and apparently he hadn't 
seen me and apparently might not have read my chart. So <laughs> my family goes in, and my mom, who's not very restrained with her <laughs> comments, she says, oh, thank God, the baby looks just like its mom. Oh. At which point the resident realizes he might have said something wrong. Yeah. And he ultimately did come to me and apologize. So I'm really kind of hoping that was a life lesson for yeah. him. Yeah. Um, but it's the, the, the reason I, I wrote Radical Wholeness was because there was a quote in um, Eric Butterworth's newest published book mm-hmm. where he talks about deformity. And when I, when I saw that word and what he said about it, just kind of triggered in me, hey, this is me you're talking about. Yeah. This is how I've been judged. And so my concept of radical wholeness kind of came out of my triggering around the whole world word deformity. Yeah, well, and it's really powerful. I mean, you just straight up challenge what Butterworth has said. And I love it. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. And I think it's, and I'm not trying to take uh, things out of context or pick on this, but I think it does represent a way of looking at especially physical disabilities that is pretty pervasive. So he, he talks about uh, our relationship to our wholeness and how if we don't have a full and open relationship with our wholeness, then we will see that reflected in our outer life. And an example he gives is not a good job or poor relationships or physical difficulties or deformity. In every case, this is a partial expression of the expression of wholeness, of the allness. So for me, that means that there's only one picture of wholeness that is possible, and that is an expression of spiritual wholeness that looks like able-bodiedness. Yeah. Well, and I appreciate that you're saying you don't want to take it out of context because it's not even just that piece of writing, but to leave Eric, Mr. Butterworth, in the context of his time. And, you know, and so I think... Knowing that, um, so the book was published in 2017, but of course, you know, he was teaching in the 70s, 80s, 90s. And um, so to really, to know that part of it, um, but to to consciously know that because as we take in his words today, we have to do some of that unpacking. That's our responsibility to, to just pause like like you're doing and say, well, wait a minute. He's painting one picture of wholeness. And that can and be a I, really I, powerful, I, you know, deconstruction. It's it's an evolution, I believe, mm-hmm. in in our consciousness 
about our humanity. Yes. So in the past, um, we've looked at race, even within the unity movement, um, as the basis for segregation, mm-hmm. which is obviously not the truth that we want to live right now. Right. So we've evolved. In the past, society has looked at the LGBT community as in need of healing, mm-hmm. as something broken. And we've evolved. And we now can see that they're as spiritually whole as everybody else. So my perspective is that spiritual wholeness has as diverse a panorama of ways to demonstrate in the body as there are people. Yes. And it doesn't matter if we have all of our physical faculties, if we have all of our limbs, if we're tall, if we're short, whatever we weigh, it doesn't matter. That's our humanity. And it is not the sole measure of our connection to our spiritual wholeness. That's so powerful. And you know, when you say it like that, it's like, yeah, duh, that doesn't sound very radical. However, you know, the experience of so many people, I've heard so many people talk about, you know, having this, you know, what we sometimes call metaphysical malpractice of, you know, someone saying, well, what are you holding in consciousness that is causing, you know, this illness right. or, um, you know, this chronic pain? And, um, and so much of the work of healing and wholeness is about restoring to the perfect expression, right? And the assumption, the working assumption of the perfect expression is, as you're saying, fully able-bodied. And so... Physical perfection. Physical perfection. We we know that Charles Fillmore was really kind of obsessed with the leg length discrepancy that he had as a result of a childhood accident. His withered leg, right? We read so, about it. The so withered leg that he prayed into. Clearly, yeah. uh, his concept of wholeness was very physical. And he judged himself mm-hmm. that he wasn't demonstrating spiritual wholeness so long as he had this physical imperfection. You know, and when you talk about and you know an evolution of our understanding of wholeness you know we've we've made some progress into moving into emotional and psychological realms you know into mental health and you know bringing our teachings forward into those realms and like you mentioned into um race relations and into um sexual preference and and taking like what we've called like marginalized populations and saying wait you know, but if we if if the same Christ presence, the same spark of the divine, the same essence of God is present in everyone, you know, then we've got to unpack these different things. But it, it seems like we still have left behind that physical piece. 
there's this, right. this sort need- of assumption like, well, we already we have that covered that, you know, Myrtle healed herself of tuberculosis. Charles, you know, healed his withered leg. And so we know, you know, that we we have our teachings are, are founded in this, you know, the physical realm of healing. And so that's what makes this a radical idea, which is, you know, sort of um, counterintuitive because that's where we started. But to take that, you know, to the next level and like, let's revisit like our 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 foundational teaching and assumptions. I mean, you asked the question, what if more than one picture of wholeness is manifesting in the physical realm? What? And I believe it is. And I believe we have to stop telling people that they're broken. I think we have to stop telling people we know the healing that they need and that we can tell that they're not demonstrating their wholeness. Right. Because you keep having that, you know, backache or, you know, this, you know, a cancer is going to form, you know, here or there because of what you're holding in consciousness. I mean, you can look it up in books, right? Or even because you're blind yeah. or you're deaf yeah, or you're dwarf or you're anything. Uh, you have you're on the autism spectrum. There's all these labels we have for ideas that translate into brokenness when we talk about people's humanity. So I'm really curious. Yeah, go ahead. And then we relate that backwards and say, and that's a demonstration that you're not connected to your inner wholeness. Yeah. Well, if that's not something that's going to change, then you're forever doomed to not be connected to your inner wholeness. Especially when you're talking. Absolutist would say, well, maybe you can change it. Maybe you should try. Right. And my response to that is, says who? Who gets to decide that's the perfection I'm aiming for? Right. In, in most profoundly, and that's the part that's really difficult for people who are non-disabled mm-hmm. to imagine you know, that somebody would actually see themselves as whole. Right, and I've and heard that you know that non-disabled as um, not yet disabled. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to take a, a short break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to touch back on the moon landing and talk more about radical wholeness. Unity Online Radio is bringing the message of unity to thousands of spiritual seekers around the world. If you enjoy our programming, we invite you to support it by visiting unityonlineradio.org and clicking on Donate Now. Help us continue to provide inspiring content to everyone. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Wisdom Moment with Ianla Van Zandt, taken from a Celebrate Your Life event in Phoenix, Arizona. The universe is not going to wait for you. And if you keep talking yourself out of what you're told to do, 
because of your negative self-talk or the crazy you inherited, somebody else is going to pick up on the idea. How many times have you been told to do something and you start figuring out the how? But the philosopher Nietzsche told us if you've got a strong enough what, the how will be provided. The way you do the things that the universe is calling you to do is don't ask how. When you get the instruction, just start moving. Everything else will show up for you. To find a Celebrate Your Life event near you, visit CelebrateYourLife.com. Did you know you can reach Unity's 24-7 prayer ministry online? You don't even have to give your name to know the prayers have begun for you or those you love. Someone has been praying around the clock at Silent Unity since 1890, and every request is taken into prayer for 30 days. Why not let us pray with you, too? To submit your prayer request to Silent Unity online, go to unity.org and click on prayer, or call 816-969-2000. Would you like to show your support for Unity Online Radio? You can donate easily on your phone by texting the word VOICE to 50555 and donate $10 to support Unity Online Radio. It's easy to do, and your offering will help us keep inspirational and positive programming on the air. Remember, just text the word VOICE to 50555 and support your favorite shows on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Discover how to connect with our loved ones on the other side with Suzanne Giesman and Messages of Hope. Tune in every Thursday at 3 p.m. Central as Suzanne shares evidence that love never dies. In evidential medium, spiritual teacher, and author, Suzanne brings hope and healing through her gift of communication with those who have passed. Suzanne brings messages of hope and love that go straight to the heart. Tune in this Thursday right here on Unity Online Radio. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Voices of Unity with Reverend Jackie Fernandez. And I'm back here with Reverend Joy Weiler, and I just want to remind everyone that our phone lines are open, so if you want to give a call and chat with us, call 816-251-3555. And, you know, Joy, in our first half, you mentioned the moon landing, our 50-year celebration of the moon landing. And um, I don't know if you saw, but we posted here at Unity um, the celebration because Neil Armstrong carried with him the prayer for protection uh, all the way to the moon. And so I wanted to talk about that a little bit because, you know, our our theme here, A Matter of Words, um, it's really interesting that, you know, he originally wrote the prayer for protection for 1940 silent unity christmas service and so the original version was christ's light directs you christ love enfolds you christ might protects you christ peace upholds you and he used the word christ because it was christmas time and so when he um went to write it again in a more expansive way he made the choice to use the word god and then he kind of he talks about where he he lost the rhyming aspect of it because he didn't think that would carry over um, and so, you know, of course we have, uh, um, the, the light of God surrounds you, the love of God enfolds you, the power of God protects you, the presence of God watches over you. And then he added, and wherever you are, God is. And so I just, you know, wanted to talk about that a little bit in terms of, um, you know, and he wrote that for originally, 
um, to support soldiers who were coming back from World War II, which, you know, you mentioned your father was one of those soldiers, you know, coming back. And he also included um, right before in the original writing, uh, the prayers for protection right before that talks about the you know valley of the shadow of death and and got some real feedback about that, as we still do today when we when we uh, publish things is, you know, well, nobody wants to hear that. And, you know, we want to feel uplifted and positive. And so I'm just wondering how that how how your work with that prayer is. Well, I think the the power of our message is around that Christ self. Yes. That that Christ self that is within everyone. The the radicalness of radical wholeness is to instill in individuals that it doesn't matter what your humanity might be judged as you still have that Christ self power within you. I, I use in the article a couple examples of healings that are in the Gospels and try to give an example or an interpretation that is not the traditional physical healing. So the blind man who it says, can see, but also says that no one recognized him. So what if the healing was that he had been blind to his Christ self, and that the blindness that went away was his, he could now see himself Mm. as whole, as confident, And we know that when people are confident and believe in themselves and believe in their own power, they carry themselves differently. People might not recognize them because they take care of themselves. They change their grooming. So my interpretation of healing is much more focused on the healing of our consciousness and how we begin to demonstrate that in our consciousness. The man who laid at the pool of Bethesda says he was paralyzed, and he took up his mat. Mm-hmm. Well, he, he was paralyzed, but also he would not help himself into the pool. He sat there and waited, waited. Yes. for someone. And Jesus asked him, uh, do you want to be healed? And the first thing he does is he starts giving excuses for why that hasn't already happened. Mm-hmm. Because every time the water gets troubled, somebody gets in front of him and nobody helps him in. So my interpretation of taking up his mat is that he simply starts taking responsibility for his own life. And he starts making decisions and he starts demonstrating a confidence in his own power of decision-making and the power to help himself, which will certainly change how we present ourselves. Yes. And it will change what happens in our lives. 
Yes, and and not to say that we wouldn't want or um, could possibly even expect help from others, but but the difference of coming from that place of self confidence and um, an attitude of self helping oneself and recognizing one's the fullness of one's um, internal wholeness ultimately changes how other people respond and react. Absolutely. And I love that, too. The first one, um, story you talked about, the blind man, you know, Jesus' response is neither this man nor his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him, which goes right along with what you're saying, that the work of God revealed in him is that he has come into his knowing of his own divine um, essence. Well, and I would point out that we're all here to make manifest the works of God. Yes. There, it's not a special commission for people with disabilities. And one of the things that is frustrating is when people say, well, she's an amazing minister for a person with dwarfism. Oh, right. Isn't it amazing how that person with autism can sing? Mm-hmm. Well, either I'm a good minister or I'm not. Either the person can sing or they can't. It really doesn't have anything to do with how you're judging other parts of the humanity. Right. I loved the uh, the one thing that there's a there's a Netflix series called Queer Eye, mm-hmm. and they've they shot a season in Kansas City. Yeah, two seasons. One of the people that, <laughs> yeah, two seasons. Mm-hmm. So one of the people that they featured in this current season is a man named Wesley Hamilton. He has a, an organization called Disabled, not really, but not really. Hmm. He was paralyzed from the waist down in a in a gun violence. He went through a period of depression and then he took up his mat and he decided that this shooting, this wheelchair really gave him new life, gave him a new chance at life that as a kid on the street dealing drugs, he didn't even think was possible. Mm. So that's the works of God being made manifest through someone. And I think there's no discussion of religion or spirituality. But for me, that's a demonstration of radical wholeness. That's somebody being healed into seeing their own worth, their own power, and claiming it and acting from it. Um, And that claiming it, that's such an important piece of the journey, is to be able to truly claim it for self, for oneself. And I think that's that's, uh, what a lot of disability advocacy is about, Mm -hmm. and I'm not sure why it hasn't been as big a part of spiritual advocacy. Oh, that's a beautiful distinction. 
that that spiritual wholeness and advocating for that, that experience. That's the message that unity has, and that's the message that I really hope more people with disabilities can hear when we get away from saying that that your wholeness is manifest in ways that we judge mm-hmm. instead of how do you want to be different? What do you want to heal? It's fine if Charles and Myrtle wanted to heal those things, and it's fine if someone wants to heal paralysis or blindness or disease. It's not our place to tell them that's what you need to heal. Yeah, that an incredibly important distinction. And I think there are a lot of ways that healing manifests that have nothing to do with how we've judged somebody's humanity as mm-hmm. broken. Yeah, it is. And, you know, and I've heard, you know, people like at women's retreats or in just more um, intimate settings in in spiritual community like that where people have shared, you know, I feel like I can't um, talk about my depression. You know, I feel like I'm failing because I don't know how to heal it. And so it doesn't occur to the person, you know, to ask the question unless unless we can talk about it in these terms um, to embrace and claim their wholeness while living with that experience of depression and that that the choice to heal from it um, is, is their own. And and perhaps even if that choice is made to begin a journey of healing um, a, away from that experience, that it has to begin with embracing it and, and living with it. And, and claiming that wholeness, you know, within that experience, you know, otherwise we just go straight to psychological denial, which is not the same as, you know, as a spiritual denial that that has no power over me. And we go straight to if I'm broken, my spirituality's broken. Yes. I, um, I, I think one of the primary healings we all have to make is to make peace with the humanity we have. Yeah. And one of the, you talk about, I was at your LNO. So at yeah. one of my LNOs, I was asked, so what is Fillmore's theory of regeneration? And if you understand it, why haven't you regenerated an average height body? What? Take a deep breath. You know, so, I'm going to be like, what so that was I, I, that I, no you're telling me that you were asked that question by a minister at your LNO in LNO in 2004 yes might have been 3 might have been 2003 it was, it was LNO so it was okay was so ordained. yeah before you were ordained wow so that's so 16 years here, ago wow and, and here's one reason I'm not offended is because it's a question that a congregant could possibly ask me. It's, it's a part of trying to understand our teaching. And, and here's what I said. So Fillmore's theory of regeneration is really about the complete spiritualization of our humanity. And it's not like a frog can grow a new leg. It's, it's about spiritualization of our humanity. And the reason that I did not and would not 
generate an average height body is because the humanity that I have is the vehicle that's been chosen for this incarnation. And it's a perfect vehicle. So why would I try to mess that up? That's amazing. That's, I mean, you obviously passed that, Eleanor, right? We have to (laughs) make peace with our humanity as our vehicle before we can be in a place to change anything. Yes. And I hope that that question was asked, you know, with that. I mean, it sounds a bit snarky, but, you know, but I hope it was asked, like like you said, that it could possibly be a question absolutely. you were asked. I, a- absolutely. And, and it was asked by someone, and I'm not going to say who, uh, that I'm good friends with. Okay. So it wasn't like, point. so if you know the teaching so well, then why haven't you manifested? Okay. So that it just sounded like, um, yeah, it just sounded a little different at first blush. Um, but I could see and it, it does, is. and it kind of takes you back. And yet, sure. you know, I, I, my humanity was judged when I was trying out as a minister. So yeah. judging is something unity does. Judging is something that we still do in our humanity. Well, we are comprised of humans, and, you know, in humans, you know, that that's one of our powers, right? Judgment. Um, you know, one of our divine powers, uh, judgment. And our brain, you know, is wired to work in such a way that, you know, we, we create patterns and systems and organization. And so, you know, it's that's part of the humanity that we have to embrace and, and harness, you know, to use and work with, with good and to elevate to a spiritual um, place. I love that you sent right. me, I, I asked you about um, if there were any quotes or anything, um, readings that were powerful to you. And you sent me this book um, called Becoming Human. Um, and that's, and you're like, well, and it seems like that might be against unity teachings because we're always talking about becoming more of our, you know, living more of our Christ potential and becoming more of our spiritual self. And so, and, and you're like, and what about becoming human? And the quote that you sent, every child, every person needs to know that they are a source of joy. Every child, every person needs to be celebrated. Only when all of our weaknesses are accepted as part of our humanity can our negative, broken self-images be transformed. That's so powerful. And the quote is by Jean Vanier. Yes. Who started L'Arche Communities. And they're around the world now. There's a large community in Kansas City in Overland Park. And it's it's really about this... um, you talked about patterns. Mm-hmm. It's about changing this pattern we have where we have such negative associations with labels that we use to say that someone is broken, to say that there's something wrong with someone. And that's it. So, you know, the labels and the language that we use. And so let's talk about right. that. You know, what is the language? Because you invite in your article, you invite us into a language of radical wholeness. So let's talk about that. What does that language um, sound like? So that language sounds like knowing that every person has wholeness. Every person has access to wholeness. And that that wholeness radiates through our humanity, no matter how others might judge our humanity. And really, there's our humanity is what it is. 
So as we evolve, we stop having negative associations with aspects of our humanity. So words about characteristics stop having such a negative meaning. So words about our race are difference, but not limits. Words about our sexual orientation are differences, but they're not limits. Words about our capabilities, physical, mental, emotional, are differences, but they're not limits. Yeah. You know, it makes me think of your father and, you know, his response was like, I'm going to take her home and I'm going to love her. And what a great example of an attitude for us to take to our own human expression. I'm going to love it. Whatever exactly. this whatever this expression is, I'm going to love it. And to, um, you know, as a parent, you know, where the you know, hopefully the experience of a child um, from the parent is that, you know, you are perfection and and to really have that sense of unconditional love. But to internalize that is just it, just what you were saying just really brought me back to that as an example. So your dad gave gave us some language for radical wholeness. Exactly. And that's a part of what. I tried to do in advocacy, it's part of what I try to do in parenting, in um, mentoring, in teaching, is to celebrate individuals, to let them know that they're valued, that they're a contributor, and that they have power within them to tap into to do whatever they want to. Yes. And so how does that, um, like in your advocacy work, you know what, give us some examples of, of how you're shifting language, like um, away from this sort of separate, separatist language, but really bringing that human experience into the fullness of wholeness. Well, I, I think language is, is changing, and it's not even just me. What I'm starting to notice is um, I'm noticing more of what's already going on that I can contribute to. Like, there's signage, and most people refer to handicapped parking. Oh, yeah. Well, it's accessible parking, because it's really accessible for everyone. And different people need accessible parking for different reasons. So grocery stores now have parking for pregnant mothers. Oh, yeah. New they and expecting parking mothers. For um, parents with toddlers. Mm-hmm. Because frankly, one of the dangers in a parking lot for me is being run over because nobody can see me. And that's the danger of moving through a parking lot with a toddler. So if we start talking about accessible parking and just acknowledge that different people need accessible parking for different reasons, then we take away 
some of the negativity that, oh, that poor person is handicapped. They need accessible parking. Mm-hmm. Or And to get away from just the mindset that we have to make exceptions, where if we have right. this, you know, where we talk about one of our you know, main values in unity, of course, the word unity, but is inclusivity, is to be inclusive. So if we're including everyone, then we're not making an exception. We're giving access. We're providing for a diversity of needs and um, and experiences. There's actually a concept in architecture called universal design, mm-hmm. and it's it's basically you can design buildings so they are more accessible. Ultimately, it benefits everyone, but it's not handicap accessibility. We just refer to it as universal design because it works for lots of different people who have lots of different needs. Love it. Yeah, that's a powerful shift in language. Exactly. And, you know, to have a working, you know, uh, it, it, it shifts the assumption behind the effort, right, to create a space. Right. We're not, we're not having to do something special for mm-hmm. these people. Right. We're just creating a world that works for all. And why not do that in the first place? Why not do that in the first place? That's a beautiful why question. Why not make our teaching available for everyone and let everyone know that they're here to make manifest the works of God? There's no difference based on our humanity's judgment. It makes no difference in your spiritual wholeness you still have that radical wholeness that everybody has. Yes. And it's radical because it can be, in part, because it can be so radically different from what we see in the human expression and by our own eyes, like not not for and on behalf of each other, but, um, you know, I, I judge my own self, my own physical experience in the world as, you know, being less than, less than perfection. You know, there's this, like, you know, idea of what the perfect light of Christ, you know, would be for me. And so it becomes a radical shift just in my own consciousness to, uh, to separate it, that. It's radical because it's outside our, our usual thought pattern. Yes. So I, I want to invite people to think about when you say spiritual wholeness, what does that look like? Do you think of someone that looks just like you who is able-bodied and successful and meets all these external criteria, or is there any physicality at all? Do you think about somebody who is confident and content and in loving relationships and contributing and being creative? So we have to think we, we have to challenge ourselves yes. to look at how we see spiritual wholeness. That's a beautiful invitation to, to really just settle into that. I love that. Thank you. And thank you so much for being here today, Joy. We're about at the end of our time, um, but this has been a really powerful conversation, and, and I hope that um, people really take you up on that invitation. 
And, uh, you know, thank you so much for, for joining this series on A Matter of Words. Next week, I'm going to have um, with me David Lewis Peart, who you might have heard at the Unity Convention this past June. He um, is actually traveling right now in South Africa, so he'll be dialing in long distance. But we're going to talk about um, the theme will be, what did I say? And we're going to, you know, he he shared this idea at convention that at one point he decided to stop talking about things he knew nothing about. And then he said his first example was peace. He knows nothing about peace. So we're going to get into that conversation next week. I hope you all uh, join us for that. And again, thank you, Reverend Joy Weiler, for being with me today. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine, speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.